0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So I was very excited about this Sunday morning, baptism, the Lord's table, and to come into the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, which is from where my wife and I picked our wedding text. So a lot of really great things to remember and reflect on this morning, a lot of very exciting opportunities in the life of the church. But yet, in the midst of this, I wanna ask you a question. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you feel weak and wearied and exhausted by your work, by family obligations, by trying to find ways to make church life and your faith exciting and dynamic? Is it a struggle to come to your morning devotions? Do you drag your feet thinking that, I really need to pray before I go to bed tonight? When you wake up on a Sunday morning, do you feel that maybe it would just be easier to stay in your pajamas at home, to watch, maybe a bit of the service after lunch, just fast-forwarding through to your favorite parts just so you can say you did it. Are you tired? Are you weak? Are you worn out? I know I am. This has been a very, very long two years. It's been a long two years of working towards candidacy in the Christian Reformed Church, trying to finish my master's degree, Working in various churches throughout a pandemic has not been easy. Being to prepare and look ahead to what comes next for my wife and I. Trying to find the strength to hold it all together. To keep my faith, to keep my relationships, to keep my work, everything running at a hundred percent. We're bound to burn out. I know I feel stretched to my limit. Trying to do it on my own. So I want to invite you to come with me into the prophet Jeremiah and to reflect on what it means to try and do it on our own and just how foolish that is. We have the picture of a bush and a tree. These sort of garden and nature metaphors are so common in Scripture because it's all around us. It's something we can all identify with. It's a wonderful thing that it transcends all cultures, and I don't need to really do much to unpack how someone in the ancient Near East viewed a tree that bears fruit. The tree bears fruit, it's good, it's tasty, it's delicious. That's something we can all identify with, regardless of where we are from. And so Jeremiah records then the words of the Lord. He says, cursed is the one who trusts in man and draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart is turned away from the Lord. It is not good, God says, to rely on your own strength, to rely on your own ability to make things happen in your life, to rely on your own ability to save you from your sins. For the people whom Jeremiah originally spoke this to were people that were on the brink of being run into exile. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken by the Assyrians, and Judah was very, very afraid of the rising power of the Babylonians. They knew that the potential for destruction was near at hand, that time was running out for them, and Jeremiah told them so. It is your sins that have brought this destruction on you. And sure enough, they tried to go their own way, trying to make alliances with foreign kingdoms such as Egypt, trying to strengthen their own walls and their own defenses and to to be prepared for this invasion on their own as though they could defeat it. But they failed to acknowledge that. It was because they did not turn their hearts towards God that he raised up the Babylonians to bring judgment. So what good are military alliances, strong walls and strong armies, the best administration, if God has already deemed that your sins are worthy of punishment? What can you do? easy answer is nothing for we know from history that Israel or that the people of Judah were taken into exile in Babylon they were punished for turning away from God they could not do it on their own and we have to imagine the people living in exile reading these words again reading the prophet Jeremiah trying to understand what went so wrong and it is clear they tried to rely on their own strength. They tried to do it all on their own, as though they had the power to affect change in their own lives. God says that person is like a bush in the wasteland who does not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. It's a place of desolation. I remember a trip that my dad and I, we took to Utah out to the badlands out there for some good rock climbing. And amidst all the rock, the red sand, the scorching heat in the middle of summer, very few plants grew. And those that did were incredibly tough, durable, just scratching out a living there, knowing that if you simply pulled out their roots and walked them 100 meters and put them back into what little bit of soil it was there, that would have been the end of it. They could only thrive in that time and in that place, and nothing else really lives around them. They don't provide enough shade. They don't provide anything really good to eat. For us who are walking and hiking through there, if we did not bring water and food with us, there would have been nothing to sustain us. Desolate, parched places of the desert. It is the image of those of us who then try to do things by our own strength, if we try and affect change in our lives and our world and try to do all the things that we have to if we do it on our own strength we are not going to thrive we are just going to eke on by barely scratching out a living and not in a financial sense but in sort of a more of a an intrinsic sense of thriving if we try and do it on our own strength If someone comes by and just takes us out of our soil for but a moment that's the end we're this close from breaking and snapping complete collapse because we're trying to find our own way but there of course is another way there's always another way and that's the beautiful thing about the prophets is they always give us something else to think about they talk about our current situation but they say it can be better for blessed is the one who trusts in the lord whose confidence is in him he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream it does not fear when the heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit it is the image of thriving and of being so strong that when difficult situations come, it still bears fruit. It's a tree that you could build life around, for there is water, there is food, there is consistency and constancy in the ability to provide. Our passage from the Psalms also uses that same image, that the one who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by water. You now the Psalms were written much, this Psalm was written much before the situations of exile for both the North and the South Kingdom. It was meant to be an encouragement to obey God, to listen to all that he had passed down through Moses and the the judges, through the prophets, to listen and obey. For obedience to God leads leads to flourishing, to follow his commands. But We have to read this also then from the perspective of these exiles. People not in their home, taken out, who perhaps they tried their best to delight in the law of the Lord, yet disaster was still brought upon them, punishment for their sins. Because it seems that as much as the psalm calls us to delight in the law of the Lord, to obey it, it can sometimes feel like a burden. Things we have to do. Things we can't do. And so delighting in the law of the Lord may have felt like either an impossible task or perhaps not enough. And so Jeremiah changes the narrative a little bit. Recognizing that we do not have the capacity to live up to the law perfectly, to do exactly what God wants us in our life, he sort of doesn't discard it, but he steps around it and reframes it and invites trust. And this may have been hard for the exiles to say, how can we trust a God who led us out of our land? He promised He promised that we would live here forever, for the generations, that this land of Canaan would be ours. But as surely as God promised it would be their land, he promised that he would take them out of it if they disobeyed, if they turned and worshipped other gods. So amidst their difficult situation, Jeremiah calls them to trust in God. Because God is trustworthy just as he was trustworthy in his promise to bring them into the land he was trustworthy in his promise that he would bring them out of it if they disobeyed jeremiah calls them not to trust in their own abilities their own character but to trust in the character of god for he is the one in whom we can place perfect trust because he is unfailing because that is where we should root ourselves not in our own ability but in the ability and the constancy and compassion and mercy and justice of god to draw our strength from him so that when we come into those difficult times it is not our own abilities and our own personalities that are going to carry us through but it is god who he is that we rely on because I do not have the capacity or the strength to hold all the things that require my attention in perfect balance. I do not have the ability to show up to every meeting and every class, to write every single paper with 100% of my abilities. Because I'm finite. I'm limited in my capacity to do good on my own. And if I separate from myself from God, I am liable to snap to err into sin, to think and say and do things that are unbecoming of someone who professes the name of Christ. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. What a hard word to hear and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We turn to the beginning of Jeremiah 17. It says, "Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point. Another way of translating it is uh, an iron stylus with a diamond head. The idea of something so strong that it can carve deep, lasting marks. From our days working as a landscaper, when cutting stone, you would use a diamond-encrusted saw blade. And the idea that our hearts are made of stone is all too common in the prophets. And our sin is carved in there deep. So deep that we cannot cover it on ourselves. And it's not something that will heal on its own. We need God to search our hearts, examine our minds, to meet us in the deepest places of our soul and our being. And while the prophet Jeremiah, he writes here, he says, to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve, that should make us shake in our boots. Because we know what we deserve. When we came into our time of confession, we know that we do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve salvation. We deserve death. We deserve to be that poor plant in the desert. But God has a different plan for us. He always has. And this is why we can trust in him, is that he is not reacting to our sin, trying to patch together a plan to bring us back into relationship and fix what is so wrong and broken. It was always the plan to bring us back into salvation, to bring us back into right relationship. And that's what's evidenced by these two sacraments before us. For baptism, first and foremost, it is an exercise of trust. It is an exercise of trust in the fact that God is upholding his end of the covenant bargain, the promise to bring us into family and community and relationship. We baptize our children in trust that God's spirit is at work in them. Because we we can't know for certain, with 100% certainty that any of us really is saved, can we? I would really say yes but we can only know it for ourselves because we can only know what the spirit is at work in our hearts but ultimately it's not our ability to believe it that brings us into salvation it is trusting that god's character is the one that brings us in so when we are weak in our faith and we are unsure that god even has a plan for us remember your baptism remember that you have been sealed in this promise that you were baptized as an adult or as an infant, but the picture of an, in, of an infant is one who is just so helpless, who cannot do anything on their own, but relies solely on their parents for every good thing that they need to survive. And it is that posture, whether as infants, as children, or adults, whenever you were baptized, it is that sense of helplessness that you were called before God. To receive those waters of baptism as that seal and promise of God's good character and faith. And then we come to the table. That massive, important reminder of how far God went for each and every one of you to fulfill that covenant promise. That he sent his only son, whom he so loved, into the world to take on our flesh and to go to the cross for each and every one of our sins, for if we were to be rewarded for our conduct and what we deserved, the cross was for us. But we trust in God's character, trust in his faithfulness, in his mercy and justice, trusting that Christ went to the cross for us. And so as baptism is a reminder of God's covenant promises, sealed in our hearts, communion is what nourishes and sustains us week after week, month after month, year after year. We come remembering our baptism, participating in his death and resurrection. This is the proof that God's promises are good and he keeps them. This is the proof of God's character This is the proof that God desires to sustain each and every one of us and to not give us what we deserve, but to give us mercy and compassion. And so, brothers and sisters, let us come to the table today. Let us come remembering our baptism, knowing that we who are so helpless to affect any change in salvation and good things in our lives Let us remind ourselves that the work was done for us. And as you feel tired and worn and stretched to your absolute capacity, as you come and take this bread, as you take this cup, I want you to cut yourself a little bit of slack. Maybe you need to cut yourself a lot of slack. And to stop trying to prove that you are worth anything good in this world by what you do. But know that you are worth all the good gifts of God's grace because of who Christ is for us. Let us come together in prayer. God, our Father, Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, we come to you empty. Fill us up. Father, Son and Spirit, we come to you tired and worn. Restore us. We ask that your spirit would move in our hearts as we come to this table today. That we come with joy, gladness, at who you are. A God of relationship that desires so greatly to bring us closer to you. So much so that you sacrificed your son for us. Remind us of your great covenant relationship as we remember our baptism. Nourish and sustain us for the coming days at your table in ways that only you can. Father, you know each of us and each of our hearts more deeply than we know ourselves. Give us what we stand in need of today as we come to your table as a community. Amen.